I'm not hearing a lot of owning up to that fact, but I am hearing a, a an unwillingness to be pandered by the right and a lot of centrist questions to go back into the war and to try and continue to once again win this unwinnable quagmire enigma of a of a ridiculous occupation and war in Afghanistan that has cost countless lives. What's going on, Frantifa? Welcome to a Tuesday. Bituation Room, live. Uh, just going up on a Tuesday. Random, super random. Soups rand. Um, doing this for the Frantifa, for everybody. Uh, no matter what tier patron you are, you're getting some good content. Uh, look, folks, I figured. I sound like Biden. Folks, yeah, yeah. You know, some of us are underemployed, so we decide to to do more streaming content. Look, look, look. Hey, hey, hey. I'm going to do more streaming. I'm going to stream more for you, okay? That's what's going to happen. It's the 4th of July, all right? America, streaming. <laughs> um... What is going on, y'all? Welcome. Please, if you are here, hit that like button, subscribe. If you're listening in the future, this is going to be a podcast. So, hey, at your leisure. I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini. Going to be streaming a little bit more this summer because, you know, summer months are slow. And also, once again, underemployed. Okay? The economy is bouncing back. Does that mean I have a lot of jobs? No. No, this is my job. My job is talking to you all. We got some good stories today. Uh, I scrambled this morning. I'm doing this without a lot of production help slash no production help. So bear with me for everybody uh, on Twitch and YouTube and uh, out there in the ether in the future. Uh, but we're going to talk about a little bit of 4th of July stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about Hobby Lobby. And we're going to talk about the January 6th fallout, uh, specifically my man Mo Brooks uh, saying that he can't be sued by Eric Swalwell. Um, a police officer using a very bizarre and 1984 tactic to avoid any kind of accountability and avoid being filmed. You don't want to miss that. And then finally, uh, what I would call a, a treatise, a, uh, a Francesca diatribe of, of sorts on Afghanistan and the withdrawal from, Af from Afghanistan, which is happening now. Um, I have a lot to say on that, a lot to talk about. Excited for your comments and thoughts on that as well. Uh, it's important. It's important and it is um, important to understand what the last 20 years of that war have meant for all of us and um, who's been laundering drug money through it? Because my God, it has been the biggest shell company of a fucking war. I'm sorry. Oop. I'm not, I'm not swearing, but what's up everybody. Uh, you guys know me from, Ooh, you guys know me from, you know, the young Turks. You guys know me from news broke, which no is not coming back yet. I don't know when it's coming back. Tweet at AJ plus, let them know you want news broke back. You love it. You love it. Um, 
But yeah, let's get into it. I hope you guys had a good fourth, a good week, uh, a, a good day off. Um, just so you know, also Thursday, I'm going to be streaming live also at this time, one o'clock Pacific, four o'clock Eastern with Sam Cedar and Basim Youssef, the comedian, the John Stewart of Egypt, as he's been called, but he's here in the United States. He's been touring. He's been doing stand up. It's so fun. Um, I had a good fourth. Uh Sorry, so don't miss that. That's what I meant to say. Don't miss that shit. Um, I had a good fourth. I was in San Diego, which like I like to kind of like make fun of for no reason because I'm like, yeah, we're San Diego. It's like, uh, what I mean, nothing's really going on. Yeah, nothing's going on. It's great. It's great. It's beautiful. There's a sea breeze. The water's lovely. You know, the water, I feel like the waves in the rest of California are like, you know, they're like, I hate you, son. Like, I'll push you, you know? And the waves in San Diego are like, mm, excuse me. Hi. <laughs> Oops. Ooh, I'm just going to lap up against your back real nice. <sighs> They're so gentle. There's so, there's like no undertow. It's very nice. Very white. Very nice. Um, That's not why it's nice at all. Uh, But I did some comedy shows there. It was fun. It was good to be back. It was a little scary, to be honest with you, because we're all indoors now and, I don't know if you guys are that one weirdo, but I'm the one weirdo that's wearing a mask inside and everyone else is looking at me like I'm reminding them of their like traumatic childhood because I've got a mask on and they're like, why are you harshing my vibe right now? And I'm like, because I don't want to, you know, get sick. And I know I wouldn't die, obviously, but I don't want to, uh, I don't want to get sick. Is anyone else with me where they're like, if I can avoid it? I'd rather not get COVID. I've got a couple good friends with long COVID. I'm going to try and avoid that one. I don't know. Is the Delta variant worse or better? Does it like put us in a different class of person? It does sound like you're flying standby Delta variant. And we are going to need five more Delta variants. And you will receive $200 uh, to use on any Delta flight of your choice. In the future, if you just take a later flight. <laughs> All right. I'm done. Uh, it, it's good to be back doing live comedy, of course. And if you have a chance to see me, oh, my God, don't don't sleep on it. Uh, but in the meantime, aquí estamos y no nos vamos. Uh, all right. What, what, what were we doing? What, were we were we? blasting off fireworks. Um, I was driving up the five from San Diego to LA and it was just like war zone, war zone, war zone. And um, for dogs, it is a war zone. Um, uh, And also it's sort of bizarre that like we, I like fireworks. I got to say, it's the one thing that I do really like about July 4th are the fireworks. But Living in a valley, living in Los Angeles means that all the smoke, I don't know where you guys live, but all the smoke just sort of like like hovers and stays in, doesn't leave and just clogs up like the air quality. And apparently it's really dangerous to go outside in the days after uh, 4th of July. Uh, also, people just start lighting up for the next like six months. People light off fireworks as if like it's cool from now until, you know, I don't know, December to light off fireworks and then it sort of peters out and then and then july 4th so it's like six months of no fireworks anyway america's a weird place you guys we've we know this um one interesting piece of news i want to share with you guys 
in honor of 4th of July, our nation's independence, um, with all of the problems that it came along with, uh, and with all of the ways that, yes, we were enslaving people, bludgeoning, colonizing, taking land that wasn't ours, uh, and wrote a lot of that down in the Constitution, actually. Savages, that's a word in the Constitution, very fun. Um, or the Declaration of Independence, right? Part of the, isn't that the preamble? I don't know. It probably is. Uh, that there's a few fun things, you know. One of the good things, one of the silver linings is now COVID is no longer the leading cause of death among Americans. Hey, sweetie, we got it under control. Get your second shot, everybody. Um, that doesn't mean you can't get vaccinated, guys. My stylist, you know who you are. Get your effing vaccine. Um, but I do want to show you. Oh, no, this is about mass shootings. God damn it. Okay, wait. Wait, wait, wait. It's, some, it's here somewhere. Oh, maybe it's not. This is me. This is going to be me doing this live stream, by the way. It's just me showing you things. No, but for the first time, COVID is not the leading cause of death in the United States. Instead, it is heart disease. And that is usually what it is. And I just want to say that that is a very good thing that we're back to letting hot dogs kill us 76 in 10 minutes, according to Joey Chestnut, um, which I love that his last name is Chestnut, by the way. No, but like, I'm so glad that we're back to doing that versus killing each other with COVID. Um, we're back to killing each other through our horrible diets and lack of exercise and sedentary lifestyles and lack of free time to go out and enjoy a non-sedentary lifestyle. Um, and we're back to doing ye old mass shootings. So 4th of July weekend saw the highest number of mass shootings than any other weekend in 2021. Fun, 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 fun. 150 people across the U.S. were killed by gun violence in more than 400 shootings. How? Why are... You know, sometimes you shoot out of happiness. Like, were all those bullets coming down? Because that's what I hope. I hope that they were all like, yay! And then they fell down. I'm going to tell myself that that's how people died. Um, but yeah. We are we are going back to death by wiener and death by mass mass shooting 420 JR man on YouTube. That is correct. Uh, and thank you guys all for your comments and for your super chats. One of which I didn't mention in the beginning, but thank you for it. Um, there's a weird sexual innuendo, but um, that is what it is. Uh, yeah, we're back. America's back, guys. An N an N NHL player. You guys hear that an NHL player was killed by a firework? That also happened. A friend sent me a, a video of a, of a dude with a firework in his butt. That also happened. I think that's all you need to know about America. Video of man with firework in anus is America. But like, while invading another country. Anywho, that's just an appetizer. I hope you guys are well. Uh, I, I, you know, we can start off with what we're bitching about. Um, but why don't we just get into the news? Uh, although there are ants in my house and I am bitching about that. Okay. Summertime ants. Where do they come from? Where do they go? Do I live on an anthill? 
Why are the traps never enough? Why do I enjoy watching them die one by one? Is that my innate Americanness? I don't stand for the national anthem, but I enjoy watching a bunch of ants die. Who am I? How can I live with these contradictions? All right. Um, but as a reminder of the amount of Christian nationalism that this country absolutely has embedded in it, we're not going to talk about the Supreme Court. I do want to talk about that on Thursday uh, with Sam and Basim. Um, and just the ways that like the Christian nationalist extremist agenda is finally coming to fruition, um, which makes stories like the one I'm about to show you to feel sort of like peanuts in comparison. But over the 4th of Ju July weekend, of course, uh, your favorite craft store, Hobby Lobby, uh, came out with a full page ad um, that basically argues that the United States should be run only by Christians, has always been guided by Christian values, and just is a Christian nation. Um, here we go. Oops. I'll delete. It's fine. Have I mentioned I'm not doing with this with a producer? So this is a full page ad. One nation under God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Psalm 33, 12. And then there's just a series of different quotes from presidents, founding fathers, Congress, Supreme Court justices, but they're all incredibly like out of context and don't make any sense. Like n they're just kind of like, God is good and stuff. Anyway, um, we shouldn't give uh, birth control to the people working in this store. But yes, it is. So it's like George Washington saying it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of the almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits and to humbly implore his protection and favor. All right. Which God doesn't say there's Jefferson quotes. There's a random like, Supreme Supreme Court no there's a oh Senate Judiciary report quote from 1853 that says quote we are a Christian people not because the law demands it not to gain exclusive benefits or to avoid legal disabilities but from choice and education and in a land thus universally Christian what is to be expected what desired but we shall pay due regard to Christianity but there's a question mark at the end of that never mind the point is is it's all these bizarre out of context quotes that they'd use to take out a full page ad and basically advocate for Christian nationalism once again, um, advocating for a Christian run government um, all over many nationwide ads. You guys remember that Hobby Lobby, obviously, under the ACA, argued and won in front of the Supreme Court that they didn't have to provide uh, health insurance, excuse, uh, specifically birth control, to their uh, employees because of their religious beliefs. Yeah. So once again, they're tripling down on that. And uh, I want to say people got very upset about the fact that Hobby Lobby took out these ads, One Nation Under God. But the, the, real, the reality is that One Nation Under God is also what children say when they pledge allegiance why the f are we saying that right like i understand 
the confusion that some conservatives have. This country, despite all their out-of-context quotes that they put up, established a separation between church and state. That was the goddamn point. Separation of church and state. Freedom of religion. No matter what that religion is. Right? And the, the things that were done in 1853 in the name of God. Colonialism. Conquest. Enslavement. Hitting your wife in the name of God. So many a terrible thing has been done in the name of God, including by these so-called godly men who are our founding fathers. But they didn't set the country up to be a Christian nation. And this is, again, like scholars have debated this and argue this over and over again. And I think there is lack of clarity because on our dollar bill, one nation under God, in the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under, under God. Why don't we just change that or add like any God? One nation under any God. But I want to give you more context on, obviously, who runs Hobby Lobby, which, by the way, is a crappier version of Michael's. All right? Joanne's Fabrics, they wish. All right? Look at that logo. Have you ever seen... Okay, how are you going to be a craft store and have the crappiest logo ever of all the craft stores? Right? Okay. So there's that. <clears throat> but Hobby Lobby started by David Green, evangelical Christian, comes from a family of preachers, started Hobby Lobby in 1970 in his garage with his wife, blah, 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 blah. Um, and as the Freedom From Religion Foundation talks about, uh, and I just want to read something that they say. Uh, ooh, that's very big. I love these guys. So um, Freedom From Religion Foundation, which by the way, counts Ron Reagan, son of Ronald Reagan, former president and incredible Christian conservative, um, counts as a member among the Freedom From Religion Foundation. I'm sure you might have seen his ads where he's basically like, I'm going to hell and I don't care because there is no hell. Uh, but he believes in like an actual separation of church and state. And that's what the foundation does. And so they called out Hobby Lobby's big old ad um, and continuing their boycott, obviously. FFRF's consumer boycott calls in response to Hobby Lobby's religiously motivated role in challenging the Affordable Care Act's contraceptive mandate. In 2014, the U.S. Supreme Court shockingly sided with Hobby Lobby by ruling that closely held corporations could discriminate against female employees by denying them insurance access to any contraception Hobby Lobby or any such other employers objected to, right? I mean, this, this all applies to, like, let's say the ACA covers vasectomies, right? Or covers, like, free condoms. Uh, I don't think it does either of those things. It might under vasectomy. Well, no one's brought the case around vasectomies. I wonder why. I wonder why. Um, so, uh, ba, 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 ba. So this is continuing from FFRF. In the past, FFRF has countered the July 4th propaganda with their own ad campaign. Um, FF, uh, ba, ba, no, hang on. I want to read this other part. FFRF recognizes that many founders, including Washington, Jefferson, and Madison, while espousing liberty, were notorious enslavers. Their views were those of the entitled white male rulers of the era. Um, but they got some other core principles right, notes FFRF co-president Dan Barker. They were not only the first in history to wisely separate religion from government, but in adopting a constitution with an aspirational preamble. 
Um, Hobby Lobby believes in a theocracy, not a free nation of we the people, and is working against the achievement of a more perfect union by actively trying to sabotage true religious liberty. Absolutely. And what's really interesting is the ways in which um, different supreme, different uh, lawsuits brought by Hobby Lobby and other religious institutions, so-called religious institutions, even though it's a craft store. But they all argue and they all utilize articles in the Constitution that were meant to defend religious liberty, that were meant that were like the 14th Amendment also meant to prevent discrimination under the law from, let's say, religious minorities, Jews, Muslims. Right. Um, That they are using those very specific laws that were designed to support uh, or to defend against discrimination to their advantage as a corporation. Right. Saying that their religious liberty is being inhibited because they cannot deny birth control to women, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this is par for the course when it comes to Hobby Lobby. Obviously, boycott Hobby Lobby. Hello, Michaels. Okay, all the plastic plants you could have ever wanted. All the Christmas ornaments in July that your heart desires, you know, just put on. Put on the Crocs, go to Michael's, get your puffy paint, decorate a sweatshirt, become a Girl Scout, all the good things. First of all, Michael's is great. I know it sounds like I'm kind of making fun of it, but I actually low-key love it. Um, Thank you, Anthony Weiner, for the super chat. Uh, And it's just... Of course, we always have to go through this every single time. And as someone in the comments, modem handshake noises says, theocracy isn't democracy. That is 100% right. And we are going to, this is, this is weak sauce. Like Chick-fil-A, Hobby Lobby, all this stuff, this is nothing compared to what's going to come, right? That it won't just be Hobby Lobby. It'll be many, many, many corporations saying that they have personhood rights even though, uh, you know, even though they don't, saying that their religious liberty is going to be infringed and this extremist Supreme Court taking up their cases and ruling in their favor. And no matter what progress we make on any fronts, whether it's around healthcare, um, whether it's around abortion access, but that's going to go out the effing window, there's always going to be a we protect private property and the religious liberty of a private enterprise over a person's right to not be discriminated against, a person's right to access healthcare, a person's right to access a safe and free abortion or accessible abortion. So it's only getting worse, but uh, good for the Freedom From Religion Foundation and uh, all the people there. And my God, my God, Hobby loves. I don't want a hobby. Because of you. And stop lobbying our government. That's the real Hobby Lobby. Is the Christian right lobbying our government. Even though there is a separation of church and state. Okay. Alrighty, boys and girls. Let's continue on. This is going to be like this. This is going to be fun. It's just going to be endless tabs. And I'm going to read all you. Does anyone watch soccer over the weekend? Italy won. Hell yeah. Um, But I wanted to... uh, I want to turn to another story right now uh, that I that was sent in to me by Ellie Hoffman, who works on the show. And it is 
absolutely insane. Okay, so get this. In Alameda County, a sheriff was being filmed by protesters, right? Protesters who were outside of the courthouse who were, uh, where there was a hearing, I believe, for a police officer who murdered a man named Stephen Taylor, 33 years old, uh, murdered by San Leandro PD during a mental health crisis he was having in a Walmart. He is the father of three. Um, this was a group of activists who were protesting um, and trying to make sure there was some accountability in this man's murder. So uh, on June 29th, BLM protesters gathered at the Alameda County Courthouse in Oakland, California, before a pretrial hearing for Jason Fletcher, a former police officer charged with murdering Stephen Taylor, a black man inside a Walmart in 2020. Um, then what happens is fucking fascinating, okay? The officer who is there, there is an officer guarding outside, protecting the courthouse from the protesters or whatever. Um, and he had a very interesting method of trying to protect himself from any kind of accountability. So as captured on video from an officer from the Alameda County Sheriff's Office, he conf uh, office, office confronted one of the protesters, James Birch of the Anti-Police Terror Project, that's the group protesting outside, to demand that Birch remove his group's banner. All they had was a banner. Uh, Birch questioned why the banner needed to be moved before the cop takes out a mobile phone and starts playing a Taylor Swift song. Okay, and we will talk about why, but I want to show you the video in question. So this is James Birch arguing with this police officer outside the courthouse about why he has to remove his banner, and this is what happens. Now you put it here. I'm just trying to what is the difference? So the cop takes out his phone. And he just starts playing a song. Are you playing pop music to drown out the conversation? No, he doesn't want you recording, so he's playing. Why? Why do you have to hide? I just know it can't be posted on YouTube. This guy. This is So he just says, "This is the officer saying, you can record it." But when I play this music, you cannot post it on YouTube, openly admitting that that is exactly what he's doing. He's trying to prevent the video from going out on YouTube and trying to censor it by using, in this case, a Taylor Swift song, uh, which is copyrighted on YouTube to do that. All right, let's keep watching. This is the new, this is the new hotness right here, is that they're reporting it so, so they can get a copyright screen. That's cute. So I don't understand if it's completely legal. Why would you worry about it being recorded? <laughs> You'd only do that if you knew you were being you an asshole. Welcome to be here. <laughs> <laughs> this, guy, this guy just turned on coffee. He was excited to do this. How long have you? Is this? Is this? Is this? Uh, is this? Is there an administrative regulation to this right now? Is that? Is that? Is that so he's asking him, is there a, like, is this a directive? Is it an administration regulation? And the cop says, not that I know of. And he sort of seems proud, like, no, man, I just figured it out myself. Is that procedure? I'm just listening. Is that, is that procedure? Do you listen? And it's, and it's procedure to come. This is, are you getting yes, this? Yes, yes. Are you yes. getting this right here? 
okay, wait a minute. I'm just listening to music, sir. We know he's not just listening to music because he just admitted that he was doing it to avoid a YouTube copyright or to avoid the video from going up because of a YouTube copyright. This is hilarious. You can have this all you want. Yeah, these, is, there's is my this, bad. Is it, does Sheriff Ahern know about this? Is that just, what he's, Okay, we'll find out. Sure he's they, playing music we'll to prevent this from so being like, posted on the internet. Right. That's why he's playing it. So right. there's a copyright strike if it's posted on YouTube. And Noti he's proud of it, too. Yeah. Notice he didn't turn on his own camera. Is this, is this an administrative Is that body camera? Sheriff? That body camera's on. Sheriff, is this... Or all of yours on, also? They're on. Okay, and so do we know... No, let's get there. And again, I'd love to hear... I'd love to hear, because you said you're a sergeant, right? So is this... Is this specifically out there? It's not specifically outlined. It's not specifically outlined. And so you're taking it upon yourself, Sheriff Shelby, to play this music to drown out? We have the speaker out here. When we have protests, I'm not protesting, obviously. Yes, but why are you choosing to listen to you're you're such a big was. Taylor Swift fan? No, you said before you were playing is music that? to drown to make sure that this wasn't posted on YouTube. You That's said correct. that, and you're that standing behind that? Yes, sir. So can you say it again for the camera? It is. Okay, all right. He was about to repeat it, but he admits, and he says openly, and good on James Burt. Uh, James Birch, I believe uh, the protester's name is, for making Sergeant Shelby of Alameda County say it again that yeah that is correct that he is doing this specifically to try and get uh get the video not posted or taken down off of YouTube which is again the most 1984 coalescing of a militarized police state and a militarized weaponized copyright ridden data ridden um metadata like hellscape that we live in on the internet which is you can get your videos taken down because you had music in the background right and let's be real like taylor swift has enough money she is fine we are not streaming some random person's like you know uh uh like hard-earned indie tunes here in fact we should do that more often shout out to kevin mcleod uh with all of his royalty free uh hotness but so this is, of course, the consensus between um, or corporations like YouTube, shout out, uh, and corporations like, you know, giant music corporations, Sony, uh, et cetera, uh, and, and a police state and the police using their knowledge of copyright infringement against protesters, right? And you see this, like, I, you know, I, I've recorded... Instagram videos where I had talking heads on in the background, not even part of like any kind of interface that I was using, just in the background, dancing to talking heads. And I got I, I got a notification that th it's going to be muted in certain countries because of copyright. But it is brilliant. It is a brilliant tactic. Obviously, it didn't work because that video is from YouTube. We just played it. But it, apparently it's not, he's not alone in trying this tactic. This is a tactic to avoid getting filmed, um, which is very ironic because I'm like, well, do their body cameras have music playing on them too? Because we've seen a lot of that footage and it is not pretty. Like, and this is the whole thing with police reform. The idea that cops are actually changing their behavior because they're being filmed is utter BS. We, they haven't change their behavior they try to hide the evidence if they go even that far right uh they try and hide the dash cam or their body cam footage but it's not preventing them from actually shooting unarmed people uh it's not preventing them from being 
from brutalizing people, uh, from flipping cars over when they're trying to just pull someone over um, is in the cases that we've seen. But this is like just next level gross. And it also speaks to the fact that copyright laws are BS too. They just are. And if they're preventing things like these videos from going out and they're seen as a tactic, then that then you know it's bad, right? And they nine times out of 10 are coming down on the people who can't afford to pay it, right? They come down on my little channel, you know, and others who like can't afford to pay Sony whatever we owe them for utilizing the, the song, right? Or who get their videos demonetized, you know, because it doesn't, it's not always that it like they censor it and take it off. A lot of times it'll be demonetized, et cetera. Um, but like, I'm a YouTuber, like that's like, that's nothing compared to people organizing and protesting for black lives and trying to get justice in the case of uh, Steven Taylor, which by the way, um, everyone should, I think the family is asking for donations in the case of Steven Taylor, who was uh, killed by, by uh, police in Alameda in San Leandro. Um, and uh, so, yeah, definitely look up the anti-terror project and, uh, and the case of Steven Taylor once again was having a, um, a mental breakdown, was having a, a, uh, an episode, um, was not mentally well and was murdered. Um, it's ridiculous. Any hoodle. Uh, I'm going to look at your, I'm looking at some of the comments. If you're not doing anything bad, why hide? Yeah, it's such a reveal when they actually show, uh, when they actually turn on the music, they're like, oh no, I might start shooting at any moment. Turn on music. <laughs> I can't be held accountable now. No, you can still be held accountable, bro. Uh, all right, thank you guys so much for being here. And just as a reminder, this is a special episode. I'm gonna try and do this more. And if you like that and you want that and you want to support my very ad-free or mostly ad-free content, patreon.com slash bituation room. Thank you so much to all the new patrons. Uh, five bucks, 10 bucks gets you a shout out. Uh, 20 bucks or more gets you access to my monthly Ask Me Anythings, which is great. So be sure. I'm not going to try and sell you a weird bra yet or like CBD oil yet. But until then... Patreon.com slash Bituation Room uh, really, really goes a long way. means a lot. Again, Thursday, Sam Cedar, Basim Yusuf. And then Sunday, doing another show, um, Bridget Todd of Ultraviolet and comedian James Fritz are going to be on. That's going to be so fire. Normal time, 5, 8 Eastern. Uh, so don't miss that. But until then, hey, support the show. Support me just chilling with y'all. In the ether as you like are outside trying to connect to Wi-Fi. Uh, thank you always, Dragon, for that sticker. You're so sweet. Uh, merch is coming, Wolfplate. Uh, just so you know, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to source it where like AOC and Bernie and Warren and all the like, you know, all the good ones source their material, union made, sourced in the US, blah, 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 blah. Not that I'm against China because also made in China right here, but I do think union made stuff is important. So we're trying to make sure it's nice. We're trying to make sure it looks good. There's going to be some Frantifa merch. It's going to look fire. So stay tuned for that. But all right. Uh, let's move on to 
the accountability around January 6th. It's been months. It's been like six months. And um, so far we have, let's see, voted down a commission, a bipartisan commission to investigate January 6th. And we now have a House commission led by Nancy Pelosi um, that is trying to be bipartisan to investigate sort of the causes of January 6th. What were the causes of January? What happened? How did that insurrection happen? God, I just, where did these guys get this idea that the election was stolen? Who told them over and over again that it was? Uh, who called a rally and um, said, we're going to march to the Capitol? Uh, yeah, that would be Donald Trump, the entire Republican Party, and the entire right-wing media establishment. It's a lot of people to sue, but Representative Eric Swalwell is attempting to sue some of them. So Eric Swalwell of California is trying to sue Donald Trump, Don Trump Jr., uh, Rudy, Just for Men, Giuliani, and Representative Mo Brooks of Alabama, which is interesting that he would call out specifically Mo Brooks um, because there's, a you know, Paul Gosar was involved and Andy Biggs was involved. But Mo Brooks had a very particular uh, role, similar to Rudy Giuliani and Trump, in, in the specific language. I'm sure you guys remember Giuliani's will have a trial by combat. It'll be nonviolent. I, 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 with, with, a, with a form of speech, it was, I mean, you can't expect me. Look, I can't, I don't even know what uh, hair dye, the, the temperature at which hair dye melts. So how do I know that a bunch of armed, uh, crazy QAnon uncles are going to uh, storm the Capitol or not, even though I just said we need a trial by combat? See, I believe in due process. I am a lawyer up until, well, last week or two weeks ago. But when law fails, you trial by combat. See, that's how it works. I believe that that was in the bar exam that I did not pass, but I paid someone else to uh, take for me. That is the best Rudy Giuliani you're going to get. Kate McKinnon, suck my titty. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I love you, Kate McKinnon. Also suck my titty because that'd be kind of hot. All right. Mo Brooks is being sued by Eric Swalwell. And if you don't remember what his role was, watch this video. You might recognize this woman. She's blah, blah, blah all over the internet. Um, and this is what Mo Brooks did on January 6th. Here's a little bit of a Newsbroke video that we came out with earlier this year. Paul Gosar and Andy Biggs of Arizona all helped pull the event off. And they knew that there would be violence. In fact, they encouraged it. The Arizona Republican Party retweeted Ali professing that he was willing to give his life to the cause of stopping Joe Biden. Ali uh, is um, one of the planners. He's like a right-wing little celeb uh, who helped plan the Stop the Steal rally. Adding, he is, are you? which is the extremist version of you up, bro. Mo Brooks echoed a similar sentiment when he spoke at the rally itself. Today is the day American patriots start taking down names and kicking ass. God, who knew the Gordon Fishsticks guy got super radicalized? <laughs> okay, that's a good joke. Shout out to Gordon Fishsticks man, who probably is not a QAnon dad, but um, so... We're going to start taking down names 
and kicking ass. When? Not yesterday, not tomorrow, not hypothetically in the future. Today is the day we start taking down names and kicking ass. Um, I feel like that's a call to violence. If I ever heard one, that's a call to action. Kicking ass, taking down names. That dude's never kicked anyone's ass in his lifetime, but I, I rest my case. Okay, so Eric Swalwell is trying to sue him. In order to sue someone, you have to serve them. You can, I believe when someone tries to sue you, you can um, opt to not be served. And in this case, I believe that's what Mo Brooks and his wife did. They were like, no, we don't want to be served. It's not a thing. And it's like, yeah, but just just wave getting served because then you don't, someone doesn't physically have to go to your house and serve you this lawsuit that says you incited violence on January 6th that led to, you know, the injury uh, and of many, many, many people um, and possibly the lead to the death of people as well. Although I know the links have been shoddy, but like when you have a heart attack the day after the insurrection, I'm going to say that was probably because of the insurrection, okay? Um, thank you, Blue Roy, for that super chat. You rock. Um, so I don't know if you guys have seen this footage, but in, in to to some to this is the midway point of the story. You have to see how Mo Brooks, representative from Alabama, gets served in his Alabama home. Uh, take a look. So here is. His wife, his wife pulls up in a, in like an SUV into the parking lot. And this footage is from, I believe their home. A car immediately comes in after. Clearly this is someone that's been waiting to serve. A man gets out. He's got a piece of paper. He runs on, runs on, runs. We can't see where he's going, right? He goes off camera. Uh, the security cam is not ca covering this. We can imagine something like, how dare you? You get off my property right now. My husband is a patriot. And who are you, you big city lawyer? Okay, so he comes back out. She is following him. You get off my property right now. He's she he's videotaping her, sadly. She doesn't have any Taylor Swift on her. Um God damn it, I am gonna I'm gonna put my body behind you. You can't leave. I'm gonna prevent you from leaving. Okay, fine. I won't prevent you. I don't want you to hit me. She tries to stand behind his car. Then she moves. She's upset. And he just backs out of the driveway, which not an easy driveway to back out of. But like at this point, you can't three point turn it like, you you know, you, you can't stay that long on someone else's property to to three point turn. Um, <laughs> so that is how Mo Brooks got served this lawsuit from Eric Swalwell, which I love that video. And of course, um, Mo Brooks is, let's see, I'll show you guys this. Uh, ba, ba, ba. Franny trying to do all the things. Mo Brooks gets arrest warrant for man who served lawsuit on wife. Great. Solid. God's work, bro. God's work. Um, so obviously that's the scene we just watched and they're like you can't that's not how the law works i'm gonna counter sue like no okay well how how do you think that guy got served the arrest warrant clearly i don't know how any of this works but it's it seems just like a very like like tag no backsies you know it was just like the tag no backsies of of the law. Um, of course, today, uh, the news that is sparked all this is that Mo Brooks is saying he can't be sued 
You can't sue me. I'm unsuable. So Alabama's Bo Brooks claims he can't be sued over the Capitol riot. Why? Um, because he is a federal employee. See, here's the thing about law. When you write them, you're absolved from them. Mm-hmm. Don't you know anything about being a white lawmaker? Like that is, this is literally the dude's argument. Um, Brooks made the argument in July 2nd, filing, responding to a suit by fellow member of Congress. Representative Eric Swalwell, a California Democrat, accuses Brooks, former president of Donald Tr- and former president Donald Trump and others of inciting the deadly capital insurrection. Um, but he says that he, quote, represented the interests of his constituency when he challenged the Electoral College vote uh, submittals of the state whose election processes were less than reliable in the judgment of Brooks. He said in the filing, it makes no difference whether Brooks was right or wrong. What? What? Wait, wait, wait. I was right, but it makes no difference whether Brooks was right or wrong. All right. I don't even get that. By the way, Alabama went. Alabama did go to Trump. I'm not saying Alabama didn't go to Trump. So him saying that he represented the views of his constituents is not wrong. That being said, you are also in the United States and we've got the Electoral College for right or wrong. You know, we can talk about that another day. And 30 percent, 35 percent of Alabamans did vote for Biden. So did you represent them? I guess not. Mo Brooks, you weird man caught in a gale of your own BS. Is that why you wear that sort of like Columbia um, rain jacket all the time? I don't know. How do you bread your fish sticks? Do you hand bread it? What part of the fish does the stick come from? Huh, Gordon? Riddle me that. Riddle me that. All right, you guys, I'm done. Oh, I don't even know what streaming entails. Am I streaming? Tell me if I'm streaming. Yes or no. Y or N? Um, okay, I'm getting some yeses, some yeses. Streaming and memeing. Thank you. Ugh. I don't know if I'm memeing, but I'm definitely streaming. And uh, thank you so much, Nicole Smith, for the super sticker. I hope it was a cute one. I'm not really checking. Um, And Susie Rock, I like getting my news from you. I like giving you the news, mostly because it's through my little pinhole of a leftist radical perspective so you don't have to hear all the fucking Republicans tell you how you should feel about the news. Sorry, that was me. Because right now, I would probably be watching Nicole Wallace on MSNBC eating lunch and being like, ugh, I hate this show. It's my least favorite show. Um... Malik, thank you, says you're doing a great job. Hell yeah. Well, we've got a few more stories to get to, you guys. You know I'm going to do like a good half hour on Afghanistan. So if you want to go pee or more, pee or more, pee or more. Hey, you got to pee or more? You got number one or number more? Number more. Okay. 
Um, I want to talk about Afghanistan uh, for a while, but I had, I think, one more, one more story, one more sitch. All my fucking, so many things, so many things. I know. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So, okay. Thank you for being here. Gracias por estar aquí. Um, I hope you guys have eaten lunch. I haven't. My cat is outside. The ants are in her bowl. She's very sad about this. So, so the bowl of the food turned because I have an automatic feeder. You guys have fat cats? If you guys have fat, I don't mean like the ones in DC. <laughs> Those are fat cats. Uh, no. I have a fat cat in my house. Her name is Ramona slash Chitty, C-H-I-T-T-Y. She is the most adorable thing ever. She's a tuxedo cat. And uh, we got ants because it's summertime and we live on an ant farm. Uh, I went over this before, but um, we, her bowl spun around the automatic spinner and um, she didn't touch her food. And I was like, oh my God, she's sick. She's dying. It must be her teeth. She can't eat her food. She hates the food. She hates me. I'm a bad mom. I'm the one that's bad. And then I like finally looked in the bowl and it's just covered with ants. And I was like, oh, tight, tight, tight. Okay, I can deal with that. Um, poor Chitty. So we cleaned up. Uh, I mean, Matt cleaned up the ants. I had to stream. That's not why I was late. I was late because my internet screwed up. But anywho, the United States is finally, finally leaving Afghanistan. Don't ask us about the troops that are going to be left. Nope. Mm, less than a thousand. There are still going to be troops there and probably private contractors just like in Iraq. But the United States is leaving Afghanistan and it has been 20 years, you guys. Two zero years, the longest war in American history, the longest. And here's the thing. We lost. We lost the war. It was a terrible war to begin with. And I'm not saying we could have won it. And the reason we couldn't have won it is because when you try and win a war, you at least have to have some barometer for what winning is. Do you know what I mean? It's like any game. And for too many people, war is a game, but it's like, all right, so you got a good, you know, like, uh, whatever. Like, I'm like, what's a game? You know, hearts. <laughs> you gotta get the least amount of hearts. No, this is a terrible game. But like, there's, there were literally no barometer for success in Afghanistan. Um, was it democracy? Oh, no, it was Osama bin Laden. No, it was freeing the women. Mm, ooh, I don't know. Education. Ah, ooh, um, oil? No, damn it. Um, I don't know. We're gone. So I'm absolutely happy that we left Afghanistan and we are leaving Afghanistan. Uh, but what you will not hear any analysts, generals, um, you know, anyone in the uh, Biden administration say anyone in the uh, security administration apparatus um, or on the media say is that we lost. We could not win this war. 
We did not know what winning was even going to look like, but I'll tell you what it seemed to look like, right? 20 years of going in circles and leaving destitution, death, torture in our wake and a whole hell of a lot of PTSD. So 2,300 American soldiers have died there, a little bit more, 20,666 injured. Since 2002, at least 47,000 non-combatants have been killed. That means Afghan civilians have been killed in Afghanistan with another 43,000 injured and, of course, millions and millions of people displaced. The war in Afghanistan proves that, like, America can't even do bad things well. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's how I felt under Trump, right? It was like, this fool can't even do the evil stuff good, you know? Like, he can't even separate kids from their parents in an orderly fashion, right? He's a disorganized fascist. And maybe that was the point. And you sort of have to think, maybe the point in the, in the for the U.S.'s involvement in Afghanistan was utter disarray. Um. But a little bit about what's exactly happening now. Uh, I want to actually, like, you know, fill y'all in. Um, balls, balls, balls. Okay, I have too many tabs. I'm very confused. But uh, NATO NATO allies are leaving, uh, including the, the UK, including uh, Turkey, although Turkey is trying to stay somehow. Um, all those folks are leaving. And yes, there will be about 650 American troops. There may be British troops left over uh, in in Afghanistan. And like personally, I think that's way better than having 10,000 or 40,000 troops, right? Um, or any just under 1,000. I'm like, okay, it might not be a full withdrawal, but it's withdrawal enough, right? Um, this nation-building project can finally be over, this BS nation-building project. Um the real thing to know about all this is that another reason that we know we didn't win is because the Taliban is back. The Taliban has been back for a while. Um, that was one of the supposed reasons that we were in Afghanistan was to get rid of the Taliban, which was the only governing body other than different warring factions of warlords. It was the Taliban. That's not to toot the Taliban's horn at all. They are obviously like horribly anti-democratic religious zealots who are awful towards women, but they had some semblance of control, awful control, semblance of it. They're making a comeback. They've been making a comeback. Something like one in three chances that Kabul will fall to the Taliban. Not good chances, but, you know, there are estimates that like that in certain provinces, Taliban controls about 75 percent of those provinces. It's not good. It's not good for uh, the people that the United States so-called wanted to liberate. That being said, why the F were we even trying to do that in the first place? And I'm so glad we are leaving that country. Um, now, not everyone is in agreement because, of course, the right wing will say, oh, the Taliban's back. We got to stay. We have to keep going. 20 years? We, we need 20 more, baby. No, that's not the answer. Um, 
But some are saying that actually it's not the case that the Taliban would come back. And I want to point you guys to this great article um, that was written by, um, her name is, her name is Ann Jones. This is for Tom Dispatch. And this is back in 2017, guys. So 2017, and she writes a lot about Afghanistan. Uh, TomDispatch.com, if you guys don't follow that website, it's great. And it's really good for foreign policy. Um, so she spoke with a prominent Afghan diplomat who doesn't think so, so doesn't agree that the Taliban will come back. Uh, Shukriya Baraskai, a longtime member of the Afghan parliament, now serving as Afghanistan's ambassador to Norway, herself a victim in 2014 of a Taliban suicide bomber, told me only weeks ago, the Taliban are so over. They just want to go home, but you Americans won't let them. She reminded me that the Taliban are not some invading army. That would be us. They are Afghan citizens distinguished from their countrymen chiefly by their extreme religious conservatism, misogyny, and punitive approach to governance. Think of them as the Afghan equivalent of our own evangelical right-wing Republicans, which I love that analogy because it's like, yeah, imagine if a foreign entity invaded the United States and sort of gave cause for like the armed, crazy religious zealots, you know, to fan their flames and get, make, give them even more popularity because they say that they're fighting this foreign invading army. Um, you find some almost in every town and the more you rile them up, the meaner they get and the more follows followers they gain. It's like the internet. But in times of peace, which Afghanistan has not known for 40 years, many Taliban most likely would be re would return to being farmers, shopkeepers, villagers like their fathers, fathers before them, perhaps imposing local law and order, but unlikely to seek control of Kabul and risk bringing the Americans down on them again. Interesting take. OK, so now, granted, this was in 2017. Obviously, this is uh, four years later. Things could have changed. The Taliban, I know, has gone grown stronger. In fact, some estimates say that they're as strong as they were. So this is not to say that this analysis is bearing out. But it is interesting that when your top priority, as in, Af as in the Taliban's, is to get American in interference out of your country, leave the country, that suddenly you don't have an enemy to fight anymore and your political project feels lacking, right? Um, again, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but it's interesting that this is one, this is a, you know, someone in parliament in Afghanistan who is saying that. Let's rewind, though. Let's try to understand exactly what the hell the war in Afghanistan has been about and what the United States did there, right? Remember, this was on the backs of the attacks, 9-11 uh, attacks um, in New York, in D.C. Taliban, who is not al-Qaeda, but who has relationships with al-Qaeda, and al-Qaeda claiming responsibility under Osama bin Laden, obviously for the 9-11 terrorist attacks in the United States, that suddenly made the Taliban the number one enemy. Oh, you harbor? You supposedly harbor the harborers of the harboring harbors? You're gone. And there was no negotiation with the Taliban, who once again, iron fist, terrible, but were actually controlling their own country from there. Hey, so this is the same, um, from the same article, and I love this uh, explanation. So 
This is Anne again. She says, the short version of that long history of Afghanistan might read like this. The U.S. bombed Afghanistan in 2001 without giving the Taliban government either time to surrender or negotiate the surrender of their country's most problematic foreign guest, the Saudi Osama bin Laden. Once again, not Afghan. The Bush administration then restored the power to the ultra-conservative Islamic Mujahideen warlords, first engaged by the CIA under William Bill Casey, its devout Catholic director, to fight the, quote, godless communists of the Soviet Union in the long proxy war of the 1980s. Remember, the United States propping up uh, the Mujahideen, propping up the likes of Osama bin Laden for years, uh, trying to... Um, lock the Soviet Union into that quagmire, um, which we then decided to step into only a decade later. Afghans polled in 2001 wanted those warlords, war criminals all, banned forever from public life. Washington, however, established in Kabul a government of sorts through vast sums of cash at its selected leaders, heading an administrative state that did not yet exist, and then, for years to come, alternately ignored or denounced the resulting corruption it had unthinkingly built into its new Afghan quote-unquote democracy. Such was the quote-unquote liberation of the country. So essentially... You come to this country, you ignore what everyone would like, you reinforce the corruption, you don't give the Taliban any time to either surrender or change sides, uh, and uh, then you blame the Afghans when things don't work out for them. She continues, the story of the last 15 years there is largely a sum of just contradictory and self-defeating acts. During that time, American officials regularly hu humiliated Hamid Karzai, their hand-picked president. They set up a centralized government in Kabul and then, through provin provincial reconstruction teams controlled by the U.S. military, they also supported a passel of provincial warlords hostile to, the, to that government. What are we doing? <laughs> They sent their military to invade Iraq. Oh, right, right. Pretext to go to Iraq, of course. We haven't even, for we've forgotten about Cheney and, and Rumsfeld and the like. While the Taliban, who were never allowed to surrender, as Anand Gopal recounts in his riveting book, No Good Men Among the Living, which is such a good book. I love it. It took me like forever to finish for no reason, but it's so good. Um, regrouped and went back to war. In 2007, they undermined Afghan efforts to negotiate peace with the Taliban, opting instead to surge more American troops into the country, doubling their numbers in 2008, and then continue to spend a fortune in taxpayer dollars, at least 65 billion of them, training hundreds of thousands of Afghan soldiers and police to do the fighting their elected government had wanted to stop. So essentially how we're funding, we love in the United States and the Middle East to fund both sides of conflicts, to pick one side and to be against and allergic uh, to any kind of negotiation, again, surrender or anything. Um, so the surge of American troops under Obama was one of those moments where we had a chance, you know, to get out of Iraq and get out of Afghanistan. But I think in an attempt to prove that he was still a hawk, just didn't believe in the Iraq war, Obama surged troops um, back into, it was something like 100,000 troops into Afghanistan to once again try and win an unwinnable war that we have literally no idea what we were doing or what we why we were there. Even after... He got Osama bin Laden in Pakistan. Or can we leave now? No, no, no. We got to stay because um, because like uh, uh, women's education, dude. But women aren't getting educated here in the U.S. Yeah, I know. I know. But like ugh. I, one of the schools is named after Laura Bush. That's true. 
so we can't leave. We, we've got to stay. Um, so I mentioned Iraq a little bit and similar things happened in Iraq. So for example, obviously this was when like Cheney and Rumsfeld and Ashcroft and Colin Powell were like, wait a minute, Afghanistan's not strategic unless we want to like start running opium, which I'll get to later because I'm not convinced we haven't. We'll talk about it in a second. But, you know, the money is over in Iraq. The money is in oil. We need to topple Saddam Hussein, who had nothing to do with 9-11. Cool, cool, cool. Same thing happened. When we toppled Saddam Hussein, the Ba'athist Party, which was his party, were the ones in power. They were terrible, but they were the ones running the government. What do we say? We don't negotiate with terrorists. Ba'athists, I know we did prop you up a lot in the 80s, and we gave you the chemical weapons that you used against your own population, like the Kurds. We taught you our torture techniques, but we will not negotiate with you. Now you're terrorists. So we won't even allow you to come back into government. We want to start the government just from scratch and or from the the uh, Iraqi equivalent of warlords, different Shia and Sunni factions of militant groups who we then pitted against one another. You remember the Iraq war. It was a good time. It was, a, once again, another failure. Um, so, yes. So, Obama in 2011, I believe, surged the troops to 100,000. And he, and when he was winding down, because like they tried for a few years and they're like, ah, we're not going to. He wound down, but he still kept 1,200 troops. So, there, excuse me, 12,000 troops. So, even though Obama said he was taking troops out after the surge, he kept 12,000. Them, them's a lot of troops. Them's a lot of troops. Fast forward to now. We've lost. Will any of our officials, will any of our leaders, will any American own up to the fact that we lost? No. But we're getting closer, guys. Let's look at what Biden had to say and assess. This is him before the July 4th weekend talking about the, uh, the exit from Afghanistan. Is the drawdown going to be done in the next few days? No. No. No, we're, we're, on, we're on track exactly as to where we expect it to be. But we just, I wanted to make sure there was enough, quote, running room that we could get, wouldn't be able to do it all to September. There'll still be some four forces left. But it's a rational drawdown with our allies, and it's making, uh, so there's no, nothing uh, unusual about it. Are you worried that the Afghan government might fall? I mean, we are hearing about the Taliban is taking more and more districts. Look, we were in that war for 20 years, 20 years. And uh, I think I met with uh, the Afghan government here in, in the White House, in the Oval. I think they have the capacity to be able to sustain the government. They're going to have to be down the road, more negotiations, I suspect. But uh, I am uh, I am concerned that they deal with the internal issues that they have to be able to generate the kind of support they need nationwide to maintain the government. Okay. So this is Biden's response on uh, right before the, the holiday, uh, which is like, he did a Biden, right? He comes back to look, man, 20 years. I think they can run it on their own. And He's not wrong, right? Except 
as an anti-war leftist, I would put it a little bit differently, which is we are the reason that they cannot run their government on their own. We cavalierly tried to run their government, installing president after president, um, and then actively working against that president uh, for the last 20 years. We are the reason that they cannot govern because their first line item is an order of business is get the Americans out. They need to leave. So I'm not hearing a lot of owning up to that fact, but I am hearing a, a, an unwillingness to be pandered by the right and a lot of centrist questions to go back into the war and to try and continue to once again win this unwinnable quagmire enigma of a of a ridiculous occupation and war in Afghanistan that has cost countless lives. So I appreciate that, even though reporters are like trying to egg him on like, oh, but what if the Taliban falls? And I think the answer is, well, then it falls. I don't know. It falls, but we're not going to keep on pouring taxpayer money into this. There is evidence that Kabul is is threatened. It's Some Kabul. Intelligence reports have suggested it could be in six months or thereabouts. Do you think you've got the capability to help provide any kind of air support, military support to them to, to keep the capital safe, even if the U.S. troops are obviously fully out by that? We have uh, worked out an over-horizon capacity that we can be value-added, but the Afghans are going to have to be able to do it themselves with the Air Force they have, which you're helping them maintain. Mm, okay. So that was his response. That was from the Times. Now, he kept on being pressed on it, and I, you guys might have seen this, but uh, I'm going to show you anyway. Question Afghanistan. Look, the 4th of July. I'm concerned that you guys are asking me questions that I'll answer next week, but I'm, this is a holiday weekend. I'm going to celebrate it. There's great things happening. Economy's growing faster than any time in 40 years. We've got a record number of new jobs. COVID deaths are down 90%. Wages are up faster than any time in 15 years. We're bringing, out our, bringing our troops home. We have uh, all across America, people are going to ball games and doing good things. This is a good, I'll be, I'll answer all your negative questions, not negative, your I love that. I'll be willing to answer all of your downer questions. You guys are such big bummers. Like, I know he is not Trump, but that is such a Trumpism to be like, why, why you got, why are you so nasty? Why must you be so negative? Oh, being president is all about being positive. Power of positive thinking. Basically, it was like, come on, man. I'm trying to celebrate the 4th of July. Let's let's enjoy ourselves. Like, Which is sad because even his 4th of July plan to have, you know, what was it? 75% or 70% of Americans vaccine, vaccinated didn't work because we are, once again, trash. That's my trash. Trash. Um, that didn't work. But... Um, he wants to talk about sweet things, not the withdrawal from Afghanistan. But I do think that when the United States makes a decision, it needs to stick to it. It can't be continually baited by the media, by the threat of what ifs. And even it's not just Biden, right? It is generals who've been in Afghanistan, who've who've fought on the ground, uh, who have seen 
firsthand the lack of strategy who know that they're being sent into a geopolitical rubik's cube um that is only costing more money and lives they don't know you know you listen to you know generals on npr and and policy experts they all support the withdrawal because they're like i don't know at this point really don't know what to do uh, because I don't really know what our goal was. We can't build a nation. Um, I don't know if we can educate every single woman there. I think we've spent trillions of dollars too much and it's time to leave. And also, oh yeah, sl- small tidbit, everyone there hates us. So it, that makes it very hard to win this war. You know, somehow... Raiding people's homes in the middle of the night, like, makes them mad or whatever. One last thing on this uh, is, two last things on this. One, I really have to shout out, there are a lot of good documentaries on Afghanistan, but one of my absolute favorites is, uh, came out in 2010, it's called Restrepo. And it was nominated for uh, an Academy Award. And it is, it's embedded, right? So you're embedded with troops. Um, which I already always have some problem with, but the candidness, the brutality, the, 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 the like fly on the wall nature of this documentary is truly stunning. It is about the second company of the 503rd infantry that was stationed in the Korangal Valley, which was a Taliban stronghold is a Taliban stronghold. And the, this infantry unit was, just sitting ducks, straight sitting ducks. And it'd be like, okay, we're on this little, you know, we have a little base here uh, on this outpost and we want to get there. Why? I don't know. In order to get there, five of us will probably die. Okay. Well, why do we need to go there? I don't, mm, we're just contesting territory from the Taliban, but it's their country. Okay. Like, so this, so it was a, arguably one of the most dangerous outposts in Afghanistan. Restrepo is the name of one of the soldiers who was in fact murdered and killed uh, trying to encroach on Taliban land. They clearly didn't have the firepower, the backup. You know, once again, I'm not arguing for that, but it is fascinating to see the, the level of the lack of preparedness, the lack of the the level of danger with which we sent these young men, mostly men, in to die um, for nothing, for total BS, for turf wars um, in a country that wasn't ours. And the best part of that is that you've got, I believe, like some rank, what is it, lieutenant, uh, colonel, somebody... Uh, whose job he was like sort of the commanding officer of this infantry unit and he would go into like the homes of tribal leaders in, in these villages right where they were and a lot of these villages they're farmers they're they're herders and he's going in there and he's like sitting down in their homes and there's like you know nothing it's just like a concrete slab people sitting on the ground it's like a a a, a, a um a like a gathering of some of the leaders in the, in the village. And, you know, you see this sort of beefy med Midwestern dude coming in going like, all right, guys, well, um, we took on fire the other night. You going to tell me who those fighters were? 
You're going to tell me who you, cause you know, you, cause you want roads, right? You want, do you want us to build your roads? Do you want running water? And they're like, what? Well, we've been fine with dirt roads and like, you know, water from our well for a really long time. You're not going to, well, you want the water? Cause you need to give up your fighters. You need to tell us who they were. And they're like, we're not fighters. We're not militants. We don't know who you're talking about. You know who we're talking about. And, and, and they're like, stop arresting like our innocent kids who are 18 years old and disappearing them into black sites like Bagram. And they're like, okay, well, and it's this like painfully, like the most painful diplomatic miss you've ever seen. And all you have to do is watch that documentary and watch that scene to show you how pig headed, how, um, how overzealous the American project in Afghanistan was trying to, you know, use the idea of build developing one's village um, as a carrot, right? To lure them into like snitching on their own people or like giving up who the Taliban fighters were, even though they didn't know who the Taliban fighters were, or even if they did, why would they tell you? Have you earned their trust? Clearly, they didn't. And it is, it's uh, its like existen- existentially painful. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm killing your vibe. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't diplomats. What's interesting is the ways that military endeavors, you know, from frontline entrymen get laundered by the higher ups as, oh, this was a success. Oh yeah. We're in the Korngal Valley. We lost a few, a few guys, but we gained, we're on that hill now. We're, we're over there now. And that was a success. And that just gets laundered up and laundered up and laundered up until we continue in this money pit of a war that is Afghanistan. The last thing I want to say about Afghanistan is that no one is going to admit in the United States government that we lost. And I think that's good, right? Like I can, I think we can say among us that we've lost and that that was a good thing. And that this was a failure on, not on the scale, but not unlike Vietnam. But I'm so afraid of, you know, the U.S. military's might and the, you know, the bloodlust that the far right has in this country that I'm like, oh, yeah, tell them, tell them we won. I don't care. Like, we, oh, oh, we, we won so hard in Afghanistan. Just, just do that. Because whatever prevents us from going back there, whatever lies the United States military needs to tell itself about whether we won or whether we did our jobs or not, fine, right? I'm not trying to rob any veteran of their right to to serve with dignity, to, to be taken care of when they get home. My God, the way to honor soldiers is to not send them into a war that is unwinnable is not to send them into a war that is illegal, is not to send them into a, into a place where they will be killing, maiming, detaining, disappearing civilians. That is not a righteous war. We can talk later about what a righteous war even would look like. But it is not disrespectful to the legacy and memory of the many, many vets who served in Afghanistan and who live 
with PTSD who lost their friends. Um, that we all know that's bullshit. Uh, but Secretary of State Blinken, Anthony Blinken, said that, you know, that the goal was to stop any more terror attacks coming from Afghanistan, and we did it. And, and if, if that was the barometer for winning, then yes, then we did do it. Then there weren't any more, you know, terrorist attacks coming from not Afghans, but Saudis living in Afghanistan. Um, that didn't happen again. What did happen was a hell of a lot of white terrorism a hell of a lot of extremism, a hell of a lot of radicalized Americans who are afraid of things like Sharia law for no reason and afraid of Muslims who have armed themselves to the T and created weird rando militias in the woods to kill Muslims. And they have killed Muslims. That happened. Those are the acts of terrorism that this country is now dealing with. Public utility on YouTube. How many CIA subcontractors moving into Afghanistan? I mean, exactly right. You know, not just CIA, but private corporations. You know, Eric Prince, founder of Blackwater, is like, ooh, it's my time to shine. Here we go. And DeVos is like, I'm going to educate all the children. We can create charter schools. Kabul charter schools. I don't know what she sounds like. I it's more like this. She does sound a little bit. We're going to create charter schools in Kabul for young women. And my family is going to make a killing. Um, thank you guys for all of your comments. I'm sorry. I cannot uh, read all of them. I wish I had some music to like. I want to move on to another aspect of this. Uh, Cody Roy on YouTube. Biden is a new liberal centrist who will not get pot legalized and will not change anything of significant value. He's just virtue signals. Maybe. I mean, I could tell you right now, pot, getting pot legalized is the the least he could do. I don't even think it's on the table, but it is the least he could effing do. Uh, thank you so much, Todd and Chuck. You guys are great moderators. Thanks for being here as always. And thank you so much, uh, Lily Ayara, Alara for your super chat. Um, who says much love for your consistent anti-war voice friend from an Afghan and Iraq and Afghan vet watched all my nephews deploy over the last few years. Only one old enough to actually remember 9-11 long overdue ending. <sighs> Thank you, Lily, for that. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I mean, so many people have family members who deployed. And, you know, I'm remembering the late now Mike Gravel, um, senator, right, who, who said, you know, the only thing worse than than soldiers dying in vain is more soldiers dying in vain. The only thing worse than soldiers having PTSD from being stationed in Afghanistan is more soldiers having PTSD from being stationed in Afghanistan. That's it. Um, there is everything else is symbolic. Everything else is funneling endless amounts of money into a feeling of American exceptionalism that doesn't even bear out in reality, you know, 
that like we didn't go there to we didn't i mean shit i'm not a form like being a missionary but like why we didn't build churches and like you know uh whatever sewage systems right mormons could have done a better job than the united states military and i would argue mormons really should stop but at least they're they're very nice people you know it's very they're they're they mean well <laughs> Oh my God. One time I was on a plane. So I lived in Argentina for a while and I was on a plane next to, um, this is a quick story, but I was next to these two kids who were like 19 and like both, you know, kind of bigger white guys. And it, this was a uh, 10 hour flight, 10 hour flight. I think it was from Dallas to Buenos Aires. And they're sitting there and I'm starting to dawn on me that they're Mormons going on their like two-year mission trip abroad and they're not going to Buenos Aires of course not they're not going to like live in a city they're going to like the far north like almost to Bolivia middle of nowhere a region that my god the indigenous people there have been colonized and sold religion after the religion and they're like yeah, yeah, yeah I just fix the roof yeah, yeah yeah I believe in your god but fix the you know can you okay you're missing a nail there yeah and so here you have a, these uh, probably, you know, Utah white boys who don't speak a lick of Spanish and uh, no disrespect. This is this, this. Everyone has a first time on a plane, but it was their first time on a plane. And I was like looking at these kids and like they didn't go get to the bathroom. Like, I don't know if they knew there was a bathroom or that they could get up to use the bathroom and they didn't know how to use like the um, the light switch and the like uh, like the call button and like the air. And I was like showing them the whole thing. And then they were like, thank you so much. Also, have you heard about the word of God? And I was like, no, I don't. And I don't want to. But anyway, good luck. Good luck in, you know, converting, converting those people who really need converting. No. <laughs> All right. I want to move on to another aspect of this because the most important thing in terms of the long term for Americans when it comes to Afghanistan, right, um, is the cost. So the United States is finally, after 20 years, leaving Afghanistan. Uh, Biden said 20 years is too long and let the Afghans work it out. Uh, amen to that. Also, why are we leaving troops there? Why don't we just get everybody out? And also, what about reparations? Can we talk about actually giving money to help people rather than giving money to things that they don't need? And if there was any more of a sign that this war was both BS, it's that the amount of waste, I believe, is unrivaled. So the war in Afghanistan didn't just cost a lot of taxpayer dollars. It wasted taxpayer dollars. Now, I don't mean it wasted taxpayer dollars because it was a bad war to begin with and what did we really, you know, need to do there. No, no, no. It straight up budget, budgetary like flaws, um, cooking the books, money disappearing, projects never finished, projects and things that don't work, wasted taxpayer money. Okay, so let's look at that. First, um, there is, hang on, I've got a, I've got a graphic and I cannot pull it up. 
here we go. So what is the overall cost of war? So this is from Brown University, has a study from 2001 to 2021. The total cost of the war in Afghanistan, $2.26 trillion. Trillion. Which is the exact amount that uh, Republicans don't want to pay into Biden's infrastructure plan in order to get any semblance of climate change under control um, <laughs> and help home care workers or, uh, you know, help people go to college. $2.261 trillion. So there's different, obviously there's veterans, medical and disability, which is only about $300 billion. You know, that I would argue that's worth it. Um, there's additions to Department of Defense base. There's um, Department of Defense OCO operating costs, I assume. And then there's all the interest on war borrowing. $530 billion on war borrowing. Good God. Who do we have to pay that back to? Is that ourselves? Is this China? Who do we owe? Of course, we know we've talked about on the show that, you know, Oftentimes, when it comes for money for war, you just print it. Nobody asks questions. Nobody cares about inflation. But whenever it comes to healthcare or fixing a road or you know education, oh, let's have a bank sale. But let's get into this. Let's look at exactly the kind of at the kind of waste we are talking about because we know, um, thanks to a. Um, a special inspector general for Afghanistan reconstruction or SIGAR, uh, which was a military agency set up by Congress to audit U.S. spending in that country. I believe is a man named uh, John. Si I'll get to his name, but any uh, anyway, basically they were like, all right, let's do an audit of what we spent in Afghanistan. Great. And now I'm going to show you a series of headlines and we're just going to look at the insanity here in terms of what we actually spent money on, okay? So here we have an $85 million uh, hotel in Kabul that never actually was built. So the Marriott Kabul Hotel, or sometimes the Marriott Grand Hotel Kabul, or sometimes Trump Kabul, who knows? This is this is so Trumpian. Um, it was, it promised 200 rooms, um, jobs for Afghan people. A in a 2000 press release, it announced initial loans of $60 million for the project, right? Um, now, this is also, I would, part of me is like, how do they get the money? So it, they got the money through an organization, a financing agency called the Overseas Private Investment Corp. I don't even want it. I assume it is a, private and public um, no-bid contract type situation, but for rebuilding. So a report by the Office of Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, military agency set up by Congress to audit U.S. spending, describes how the project went so wrong. The agency's preliminary investigation found troubling management practices and lax oversight by the U.S. financing agency, the Overseas Private Investment Corp. OPIC is an agency run by the U.S. government that uses private money to finance development projects overseas. According to the report, which is based on two inspections this year, the agency placed too much trust in progress reports by the companies managing the construction. Okay, so this is from the report. 
Uh, the OPIC did not regularly visit the sites. So the financing agency never visited the actual sites that they were financing or have an on-site monitoring presence at either construction project, but instead relied on almost exclusively on representations made by the loan recipi recipients regarding the status of the projects. As a result, the $85 million in loans is gone. The buildings were never completed and are uninhabitable. And the U.S. Embassy is now forced to provide security for the site at an additional cost to U.S. taxpayers. So, okay, the company did not respond to requests for comment. That's great. So uh, the Marriott withdrew its support in 2013. Here you have an unfinished bed, uh, hotel bedroom. Um, so this is just one of the many projects. The Grand Hotel of Kabul now just sits like a dope music video site because it was never finished. $85 million. All right, that's one. Two, the U.S. paid for the world's most expensive gas station in Afghanistan. I told you this was going to get painful. This is according to the same report that uh, from the inspector general, right? The station should have cost $500 million, uh, excuse me, $500,000, 500000 but in this case, the Department of Defense's Task Force for Stability and Business Operations awarded the Central Asian Engineering a contract to build the station for little, a little under $3 million. Okay, very expensive gas station. But somehow, spending got out of control. Here's how the Inspector General explains it in this report. The task force spent $42.7 million. What? Between 2011 and 2014 to fund the construction and to supervise the initial operation of the station. Um, approximately $12.3 million in direct costs and $30 million in overhead costs. To make matters worse, the Inspector General found that the Department of Defense didn't even study whether a natural gas station would be used in Afghanistan. And when the Inspector General came asking questions, the Department of Defense said that all the people who worked on the project were gone. So they couldn't provide answers as to why a project that should have cost $500,000 ended up costing nearly $43 million. That is insane. Um, okay, so it goes on, the Inspector General Sopko, uh, it, you know, talks to DOD, but there is a, there's a pattern emerging here, and I want you guys to think about how shady it is that private companies, thanks to the Department of Defense and the U.S. military, were able to overinflate costs on projects they never delivered on. And what kind of clientele and what kind of financing might been have been at the root or could be at the root of these kinds of very bizarrely unfinished projects, man. Uh, I know I sound like the dude reading the news. I don't care. Big Lebowski for life. Let's keep going. Here's another one. Uh, here's, it keeps going, guys. It, it, it keeps going. So this is a hospital. Ooh, well, look, Afghans need hospitals, least of which to recover from all the, you know, injuries that Americans are, uh, 
are, are raining down upon the civilian population. Okay. This is a hospital that um, costs US, the United States $14.6 million. Okay. It was supposed to come, it was supposed to be uh, a lot less than that. All right. So here we, we have, uh, this is the inspector general found that the international development, the international organization for migration. Um, sorry, let me just read this. The hospital is not a military project. It was built to treat civilians. Construction began in 2008 as a part of a three-year contract between the U S uh, agency for international development and the international organization for migration, which would handle the hiring, hiring of contractors. It was supposed to be finished and handed over to the Afghan ministry of health by 2011, but that didn't happen. The date was pushed back to June 2013 in a contract with an Afghan building contractor. Then later that year, the inspector general found out that 10, oh, that IOM had overpaid the contractor by at least $507,000 for diesel fuel and a, and a thermostat uh, device. The IOM eventually repaid the money to USAID. Well, that's good. Um, so the, okay, new contractors, so there's like three contractors now, they were supposed to finish the hospital by 2014. By that summer, however, the hospital was still unfinished. It took another year and a half for the hospital to be completed, enough to hand over to Afghan authorities. USAID formally shifted control of the hospital in March 2016, nearly five years late, saying it was mostly finished with only minor repairs left to do at $14.6 million and they couldn't even finish the hospital. Yay. Good job, USAID. Now, what about that hospital? Okay, let's look at it. The, authority, the auditors last year found 42 construction deficiencies. Despite millions of dollars and years of work, parts of the roof were leaking or containing standing water. Doors were missing handles, and one of the water towers was leaking. The hospital had not been reinforced to withstand earthquakes. Fun. Um, the hospital is built on an active fault. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Fire alarms were missing in some parts of the hospital, and if there was a fire, there was no emergency lighting. Also, some exit signs pointed the wrong direction. Oh, so it's a death trap. So it's a hospital that if you make it out of there just from your regular injuries and something happens in it, you ain't getting out alive because there's not enough emergency lighting and exit signs point you in a different direction. And also it's on a fault line. Oh my God. Only 13 of the 42 deficiencies have been fully addressed. This article is back from 2016. So again, this is years ago, but I wonder what condition that hospital is in now. But it gets worse. And this is the last one I'll show because there's so much more. But here is a military facility. Um, military facility uh, that we spent a lot of money on. And the headline is a $34 million waste of taxpayer money in Afghanistan. Which one? How many wastes? Is this the same $34 million as the $85 million? Which I can't keep track. Oh, guess what? They can't either. Thank God we have an inspector general. So we know all this. I'm only being slightly honest because I really believe like I'd rather not know a lot of these things. It's too depressing. Okay. So this was, <laughs> this is, uh, 
All right, all right, all right, all right. I got to read some of this. I just have to read this. Um, so this is the same inspector general looking at this facility um, and the millions of dollars that were poured into it. Um, so this is from the inspector general says, the joke in my office is we will eventually see a base where on one side of the base they're destroying it while the other side of the base they're building it and they will probably meet in the middle. Oh my God. Oh my God. The facility in question is Camp Leatherneck. So it is a U.S. Marine base in the Hemlin province of Afghanistan. The history of the project originally intended as a command center for the, quote, surge of U.S. troops. Remember, 100,000 troops under Obama and reveals gaps in planning, coordination and execution, Sopko says. So called the regional command's southwest commander. Listen to how weird this name is. Called the regional command southwest command and control facility. I feel like there's one too many commands there. How many can we add another command? Will it will it fix the gaps in planning if we add another command in there? I feel like the name screwed it just from jump. The new building offers 64,000 square feet of space for more than 1,000 military personnel, including accommodations for a three-star general. Ooh, because you know you can't stay in the uh, Marriott Kabul because it doesn't have doors it's the, quote, Taj Mahal of command centers, Sopko tells Robert. However, even under the best case scenario, only 450 people may be able to use the building today, um, which would result in excessive operation and maintenance costs because cooling systems would be underutilized. The Afghan government also isn't likely to be able to use the facility because it was built to U.S. standards. This is my favorite part of this. Its electrical system uses 60 hertz cycles per second and 120 volts, for instance, instead of the Afghan standard of 50 cycles and 220 volts. They couldn't get the effing electricity right. They couldn't get the right voltage in the country that they were in. This is a command, command, command center. And... 64,000 square feet, but they can't even fill it because apparently the maintenance costs on this thing are too high. Sopko goes on to say that uh, construction... Oh. Hang on. There's a part in here where he basically says that Construction on a lot of these projects began even though the United States was pulling out of Afghanistan. Just give the people the money, bro. Just buy some, buy a, buy a, a, a farmer back their goats that you destroyed. Give them back their land that you riddled with mines. Clean their water system. Build it. Send some Mormons in there. Now, I said earlier, and it really, like, it might just be because I've been watching Ozark. And my mind is here. But, like, this amount of waste and negligence coming out of the U.S. military, the Department of Defense, in Afghanistan with all these unfinished projects that cost millions and millions of dollars that actually never were finished. Uh, 
a $40 million gas station? Bro, are we not laundering money through this? Has Afghanistan just turned into a giant money laundering operation for international drug like uh, rings? How is it not? Someone lay out the argument that that is not exactly what's been going on. We all know Afghanistan has a a ton of opium production, right? In fact, opium production has gone up just like the Taliban has increased their influence. So is opium. Tell me that they are not laundering, not the Taliban necessarily, but that drug rings and cartels are not laundering money through Afghanistan. It's a pretty good idea. Jason Bateman in Ozark taught me that. Oh, man. Roosevelt Republicans of America. Not sure how long Mormons will last before ransoms. It's so true. You know, but the U.S. government will pay the ransoms to get the Mormons out, you know, if they're white, of course. Um, Let's send Romney in first. Hell yeah. That guy can smile the pants off the Taliban. Hey, I'm a good Republican. I voted to impeach President Donald Trump, okay? Can I have some more money? Uh, Ray Turner, Bearded Dragon says, I'm thinking of the London financial sector, the city of London financial sector. Winky face. Yeah. I don't know what I'm thinking of, but I am like absolutely astounded that we've wasted that much money. So once again, This is not about morality. It's not about right or wrong. It's America can't even do our shitty stuff well. Even when we set our hearts on destroying another country, we can't even do that right. Unless the entire point was to use Afghanistan as a giant money laundering uh, operation. Because that's exactly what it feels like. So anytime anyone tells you we don't have the money to spend on a Green New Deal, we don't have the money to spend to help home care workers, we don't have the money to extend unemployment benefits, we don't have the money, we got the money. It's in your goddamn pocket. It's in someone's pockets, okay? And I hope all of their Caribbean vacation homes get flooded from climate change. That is what I hope for you. Again, there's going to be more profiteering in Afghanistan. This is not the end of it. There is going to be more no-bid contracts. There's going to be more private and public sort of handshake and, you know, jerk off. uh, What is it? Reach arounds uh, that are going to be happening uh, at our expense, at the Afghan people's expense. But let's not get lured back into the idea that we need to be in the Middle East, that we need to be in Afghanistan. But also, you know, no one's heralding the Taliban. I'm not excited about the Taliban potentially coming back, but let's first do no harm, as most doctors say. And the first point of harm is ending the occupation. So that was an hour on Afghanistan. And man, if y'all aren't horny for anti-war analysis, I don't know who I'm even speaking to right now. I don't even like know my own audience and shit. Moondragon with the super chat, America the griftocracy, absolutely. Like, 
we should put these executives and these, you know, former heads of DOD. There should be a whole Jerry Springer genre show, a whole, you know, Dr. Phil, you know, stop shaming poor people for spending too much money on their credit cards. Be like, um, what were, well, exact now when, when you invested $85 million in a failing hotel that doesn't even have a roof, what were you thinking? What were you thinking, America? You need to get your finances in order, okay? Your marriage is falling apart. Your country is falling apart. Put that on daytime TV. I will watch the shit out of that. Oh, man. You guys, the Young Turks is about to start at 3 o'clock, so I've got a date with YouTube. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all of your super chats. Keep them coming. And once again, we're doing this again on Thursday with Sam Cedar. Oh, God, what a fucking nightmare. And Basim Yusuf, uh, the comedian, wonderful, uh, just hilarious man. I'm excited to talk to them. Uh, it'll be a great show. Also starting at 1 East, uh, Pacific, 3, 4 Eastern. I remember time zones. But if you want to support the show, support me, support my sort of like pulling my hair out and going gray as I decided what the F to cover today and then got very, very excited about Afghanistan. Um, Patreon.com slash Bituation Room. We don't have any sponsors. You guys are the sponsors. Become a member uh, or, or, you know, a patron. And also subscribe on Twitch. I, I love all the new subscribers. I'm going to shout y'all out uh, on Thursday. And everyone who's become a patron, Fart Song will be back, bitches. It'll be back. Thursday. We're streaming Thursday and Sunday. Do not miss it. And I will be doing this again, uh, hopefully next Tuesday, you know. Inshallah, as they say. All right, you guys. Love you. Remember... Fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Bye.